0: Good morning again. It's uh, great to be together in worship. Goody this morning is uh, with her family in Memphis uh, for a family funeral, and so I'm not here this, this weekend, so we miss her. Uh, pray that she would have a good time with family in this coming week as well. Uh, if you're a visitor, we're glad that you are here. Uh, please I hope you can sense our excitement that you are with us. Uh, and. Pray that you would become quickly a part of our life together. And, again, let me encourage those of us who have been here for a little while, part of how that can happen is if we reach out to folks we don't know and uh, introduce ourselves. And so let me encourage you to do that. Uh, Strengthen the ties that that bind us together. There is a black pad there in your pew. If you could take it and sign it, pass it uh, to those in your row, that would be good. Let us know who is here this morning. We are concluding our study of Romans chapter 12 this morning. We'll be looking at Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Listen again to God's word to us. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you... Thanks be to God. Something happened this week in my my preparation for the sermon that was highly unusual. I had a a dream about the sermon. I do not remember this ever happening before to me. I mean, I have lots of dreams, or perhaps the right word is nightmares, about preaching. (laughs) Nightmares about standing up realizing, oh, I have not done anything to prepare for the sermon. Or standing up to preach and realizing that I'm not fully clothed. Those dreams happen a lot. But Saturday morning, yesterday morning, I had a dream about what I was to preach for this particular sermon. I remember thinking that the particular dream was powerful, insightful, and that I would not forget it. I didn't need to write it down because I would certainly remember it. And I don't remember it. I didn't write it down, but I remember waking up several times early in the morning with the same phrase echoing in my head. I don't remember the dream, but I remember the conclusion of the dream, or perhaps the same conclusion to several dreams. And that phrase is the means matter. The means matter. The means, as in the phrase, the ends justify the means. Now, I hesitate to share this with you. I admit that it didn't seem wise to me to subject you to the murky thoughts of my subconscious, but it occurred to me that this might be more than just the murky thoughts of my subconscious. Throughout the day yesterday, I wondered if this might be from the Holy Spirit. The means matter is a thought that is biblical. It's not enough for us to have the right ends, the right goals and objectives how we get to those ends matters. I share with you not because it is something hidden and mysterious, but because I hope it is something that is obvious and true for us. Something we all know, but perhaps we need to be reminded of. The means matter. We are concluding this four-part mini-series of what it means for us to be the church. And the series has not been so much about the ends, but about the means. We have not been talking about the kinds of things the church is supposed to do, but more about how we are to be. We have not been talking so much about evangelism or discipleship or missions or even worship. We haven't been talking about what we are supposed to do as much as we've talked about how we are supposed to do those things. We've been talking about the means, and the means matter. We talked three weeks ago about living our lives as an act of worship, presenting our bodies, our whole selves, as an act of worship to our Father. Abba, look what I did today, living our lives. How? As an act of worship. How? By what means? By presenting them to our Father for his approval. We do this by being transformed the renewal of our minds so we can show what is good and acceptable and perfect, Paul says. And then we looked two weeks ago about how we do this together as the body of Christ. Now each of us are needed. Now we cannot do this alone. And then last week, Goody led us through the commands of verses 9 to 16, this staccato burst of commands. Listen to again. Just this is one after another. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and on and on, this staccato command after command, telling us something of what we are to do, but mainly tells us how we are to be, how we are to live together as God's people. And then this morning, our text describes for us not so much how we live together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, but how we are to live in a world that oftentimes is hostile to God's people and the God's way. How do we relate to those who would do us evil? Last week, we looked at how we live together, how we are to live together as brothers and sisters, loving one another well. This week, how do we live when we are in conflict, when there is enmity, when someone is not for us but is against us? One would hope that that would never happen here, right, in our life together. One would hope that would only happen out there, The reality is, it happens. Hopefully not here, but here or there. Life is like a good novel. There will be conflict. And how do we respond? I want us to start looking at the end, at the last verse of our text. Verse 21 says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And this thought describes really the whole chapter. This thought began the chapter in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And Paul is describing a reality that we often forget, that evil is not omnipotent. Evil is not the most powerful force in the world. In the end, that which is good and beautiful and right will overcome that which is evil and twisted and wrong. Through Jesus Christ, or as Paul says, by the mercies of God, we are able to live in this reality. How do we do this? Well, Paul will tell us in these verses. But before we look at verse 17, we remember that the means matter. How we do this really matters. And the means by which we overcome evil with good are determined by the gospel, by the mercies of God, by what we know to be true of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. The fact that we are adopted as children of God, made brothers and sisters solely by God's grace, determines not only our ends to overcome evil with good, but also our means. How is it we overcome evil with good? In other words, the fact that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. This determines how we are to overcome evil. It determines the means. The fact that Christ did not repay our evil, by doing evil against us, determines how we respond when evil is done against us. Looking then at verse 17. Verse 17 in the Greek is emphatic, saying, To no one, to no one, repay evil for evil. Because when we pay evil for evil, evil is not overcome. Evil is multiplied. This is true in an international level. Think about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And it is true on an interpersonal level. When I was 10 years old, my brother and a friend of ours and myself were playing catch with a baseball in a park. And while we were playing, this little kid, considerably shorter than me, walked up to me and punched me in the mouth for no reason. We were strangers. We had never met each other for no reason. And in my 10-year-old mind, in my 63-year-old mind, it was evil, right? Why would he punch me? And I responded without thinking very deeply by pushing him back, pushing him down. I was not thinking very deeply because this little kid also had two friends with him who were much bigger than he was and much bigger than I was. And after I pushed the kid down, this, his older brother came up to me and proceeded to start punching me. Even though my response felt justified and right, my physical violence against him did not lead to the overcoming of evil, but to the multiplying of evil, as I got punched several times. Paul says, do not repay evil to anyone with evil. And in these verses, as is typical of Paul, he tells us what not to do, but he also tells us positively what we should do. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. The New Revised Standard Version translates it more literally, take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. Take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. The, the word translated be careful means to, to take forethought, to plan ahead. When I got punched by the little kid, I did not take forethought. I didn't think at all. I immediately pushed him back. Fortunately, our friend who was with us did take forethought. He did not respond evil for evil, and so he could have had a brawl. No, he ran and got a large adult to walk by, right? And fortunately, we then all just walked away. Paul says, don't respond to evil with evil, but take thought for what is right or what is noble in the eyes of everyone. And there's a play on words here in the Greek. The Greek word for evil is the word kakos. The word for right or noble or good is the Greek word kalos. Instead of repaying kakos for kakos, evil for evil, he says, think about doing kalos for kakos. What is good for what is evil. Kalos means that which is good or right or noble or beautiful. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He endured that which is the most evil act, an entirely innocent person suffering the most painful and shameful death humanity could imagine. And he has turned it into something good and noble and beautiful. So here in this sanctuary, we have this, this instrument of torture hanging in our sanctuary, right? Because Jesus took that which is evil and has turned it into something good and beautiful. So the question for us is, and this takes some forethought, when we suffer some evil, how can we respond in a manner that would seem good and right and noble in the sight of all? Alan would speak to us frequently of the importance of a Christian imagination. This is part of what he was talking about. Do we have an imagination that will enable us to think of how we can respond with beauty that which is noble and good when we suffer evil. I'm reminded of a story that Dick Gregory tells. Dick Gregory was a black comedian who was a comedian back in the 60s and 70s, became a civil rights activist. He tells a story of going to a restaurant, sitting down to be served, and the waitress came and said to him, we don't serve colored people. He replied, that's okay. I don't eat colored people. <laughs> I, I would like some fried chicken. Well, apparently, they served him the fried chicken. And as he was getting ready to eat, three uh, white men came up to him and threatened him and said, Whatever you do to that chicken, we're going to do to you. And Gregory put his knife and fork down, picked up the chicken and kissed it. (laughs) Paul acknowledges that not everything will turn out great. Verse 18 tells us to live peaceably with all people if it is possible and as far as it depends on you. We cannot determine the response of the other and it may not be possible and Jesus is our example we do not live at peace without conflict at any cost the end is not enough the means matter we are not to be conformed to this world we will not sacrifice that which is good and true and just in order to be at peace in order to not have conflict Do you remember the story in Mark 3 when Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and there's a man there with a withered hand? And the Pharisees are watching to see if he will heal him on the Sabbath. To keep the peace, to avoid conflict with the Pharisees, he could have ignored the man. But it would not have been good or right or noble to leave that man bound up in the brokenness of his body. And so Jesus heals the man, even though that leads to conflict. The Dick Gregory story is funny, right? And part of our Christian imagination, I think, is to use humor and to get people to laugh and to see the absurdity of their lives. But also in that situation, we have to wonder if those white people in the restaurant laughed. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then in verse 19, Paul says, beloved, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. This is hard, right? That little kid punched me. He should pay. When I am treated unfairly, I feel diminished. I have lost some respect, some honor, or perhaps even some money. If I don't Take revenge, I could lose everything. If I didn't push that kid back, he might just keep on punching me. I had to take revenge to teach him a lesson. But if Paul, if Paul appeals to us by the mercies of God. We cannot be diminished because we are loved by grace. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My worth, my lovability, are not dependent on my honor or respect or wealth or anything else except for the love and grace of Jesus Christ my account is full and no evil can diminish it because of God's mercies we are able to overcome evil with good and we can leave room leave it, leave room for God's wrath leave it up to God To deal with it. And then Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32, verse 35 Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Vengeance in the hands of human beings is a blunt and deadly instrument. We don't know enough and can't see clearly enough to do vengeance. But God is a master surgeon who is able to wield vengeance in a manner that can heal and transform. And so, beloved, we leave it to him. Don't do vengeance, but positively, Paul tells us, positively, if our enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And he's saying the same thing that he said in verse 17. Take some forethought and think of a way to do something good, something of beauty for your enemy. By doing this, he says, you will heap burning coals upon their head. <laughs> I'm not sure what Paul meant by that. It sounds like he's saying, yeah, really stick it to them by being nice to them and see how badly they'll feel, right, to bring more shame upon them. Uh, some commentators think there is an a, a Egyptian ritual of repentance where those who repented would have a... a basket of hot coals placed upon their heads as an act of penitence and worship and perhaps paul had this in mind or the old testament had this in mind paul quoting the old testament here uh, that what paul is saying is that it may bring them to repentance and that's what we hope for that's how we love and care for those who would be our enemies how do we do this The means matter. (laughs) If I serve my enemy to shame them, to embarrass them, that is the wrong means. Christ served us not to embarrass us, but to bring us to God. If I serve my enemy in a condescending, arrogant manner, that is not the means of Jesus. But if I humbly serve them with the hope that we might thereby be reconciled, then there is a possibility of overcoming evil with good. Beloved, we live in a world of enmity and strife. We live in a world where there's lots of evidence of people being overcome by evil and very little evidence of good overcoming evil. In our life together, even, we are tempted to interpret one another's actions as evil, as attacks, as criticisms, especially with one another. Let us not return evil for evil. With one another, let us not seek vengeance, but Give forethought to what we can do that would be good and noble and beautiful. And as we live in this conflict-ridden world, let us not be overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Not by being more evil than evil or more violent or more cynical or more sarcastic than evil, because the means matter. In Jesus Christ, we are able to overcome evil with good. That is what Jesus Christ has done and in him as his body. We too can do this. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, the truth, the reality that is there. Lord, as we hear it this morning, we are quickly brought up short realizing that in and of ourselves we are unable to overcome evil by nature by instinct we respond evil for evil to the multiplication of evil until there's nothing but conflict and hurt and brokenness so lord we do pray that you would help us to be transformed through through the renewing of our minds that we might be a different kind of people in the way we love and care for one another, in the way we respond to those around us. Lord, we pray that you would deepen our imagination for how we might respond in ways that would be good and true and noble, perhaps with humor, whatever, Lord. We pray that you would give us your wisdom. But most of all, we pray that you would give us yourself, your spirit, within us, within us together, to enable us to be this kind of people who not only are trying to do the right things, but are doing them in the right way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. are you feeling this morning? When you think about this word that we've heard, do you feel energized? Yes, let's go overcome evil with good. Excited to run out into the world and be that, those people? Or do you come saying, Pastor, I feel empty this morning. I don't think I could do any of this. This table is a reminder that you are not empty. You may feel empty. You are not empty. But you are filled. You are filled with the very spirit of Jesus. And you may not feel like it, but it is true. That's who we are. And if you don't feel like it, then please come to the table. Come take the bread. Put it in your mouth. Feel it come into your body as a reminder that Jesus Christ himself, by his Holy Spirit, is present with you in your body and his spirit within you enables us to live lives his way the right means for the right purposes not because (laughs) we're good enough not because we got it right this week right? by the wonder of his grace that's what he does for us. And we know that because on the night when he was betrayed, surrounded by disciples who would betray him, abandon him, on that night he took bread and when he had broken it, he said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this remembering me. And the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is new covenant to my blood blood which was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it, remembering me for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup. we you share the Lord's death until he comes? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take this bread, take this cup, set it apart from a common to holy purpose, May it indeed be for us your very presence. As we receive it into our body, may we know once again that we belong to you, that we are united with you in Christ, and that you dwell within us. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way with us, that by your Spirit, indeed, you would be transforming us more and more, each of us and us together, into your image. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Invite the servers to please come forward. We will do communion by intention. We will have you come forward. We will place a piece of bread in your hand. Take it, dip it in the cup, remaining mask, and then slip it under your mask uh, to partake. And uh, then return return to your seat. If you would like to uh, receive a celebration cup, the ushers have those and we'll be glad to allow you to have one of those.